Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show, and let's say hi to Mary Meyer, horticulture science faculty member at the University of Minnesota Extension Horticulturist, and... Uh, just an all-around smart, award-winning person. Thank you, Denny. Great to be here. <laughs> nice to see you again, Mary. Thanks very much. You know, before we – well, certainly we'll invite our listeners to call in. They're doing that right now. Uh, text and They're doing that right now as we speak. The phone number, in case you don't know, 651-989-9226. The text number is 81807. I saw you reading the St. Paul paper this morning. Yes, I was looking at the front page of the Pioneer Press has a story on the uh, emerald ash borer, which is um, a very common tree for us. Emerald uh, ash is a very common tree in mm-hmm. Minnesota, native tree, wonderful uh, urban tree. But unfortunately, we have the emerald ash borer to deal with. Yes. And some people feel this year it's going to take a big leap, a big jump with where we are finding these. So this is an invasive insect. The borer is one of the most deadly insects. And if you have ash trees on your property, as most of us do, native ones or ones we've planted, you really need to inspect the trees. Um, people talk about three choices. The one, one choice of doing nothing, which is, I guess that is a choice. Yeah. It's not a good choice. Um, and then either treating your trees or removing your trees, but you're going to have to replace your tree. This is this is what it will come down to. You can treat your trees now, and 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 we are not doing that yet at the arboretum, um, but we certainly have removed all of the ones that are marginal. We haven't treated yet at the arboretum because the emerald ash borer has not been sighted within five miles of the arboretum, but most of the metro area now has. Um, uh, over to Plymouth, where I live, it's been sighted, and most of the metro area is within five miles of an, of a, the, uh, a, an actual um, sighting of an emerald ash uh, borer, the insect. So treating the trees, get an arborist out. Get, they'll give you estimates. Uh, the treatment lasts for two years, but it, this is something that you start and you can prevent it from happening. You might be able to have your tree live throughout this whole episode if we can find out other treatments and keep up with the sanitation. Wow. So it's a it's a, a very big issue. The other part of this, the more hopeful part of this is plant another tree. You know, go to different species, go think about the oaks. I planted the uh St. Croix elm, the elm that's a local native uh elm that's resistant to uh Dutch elm disease. But there are many, many other trees, evergreen and deciduous you could think about planting. That's a good idea. So they, right. they're predicting a tough year. 
Uh, right. And and we just never know. Uh, this, this was a uh, difficult winter for many plants, and we hope many of these uh, insects that bother us. Uh, and we're just finding out now how did the emerald ash borer come through the winter mm. because, of course, some of our plants were sure. just figuring what's dead and alive uh, with the plants. But we were hoping that our winters would be more destructive for the emerald ash borer, but that has not proven true. Texter says, autumn blaze maple, very yellow. And I'm not sure this other word here, something last fall, something about copper. Maybe uh, maybe uh, discolored last fall. Or any maybe suggestion? Color, maybe colored early last fall. Okay. So autumn blaze, a wonderful tree, almost overplanted now. Boy, you see huge lines of that. It's a beautiful tree, wonderful uh, color. Um but that uh, yellow discoloration is a sign it could have injury. Uh, we do know that stem-girdling roots, those circling roots, are a problem with trees grown in containers. Uh, most growers today are extremely well aware of that, but occasionally you still find them in the landscape. So I, I would um, think about a soil test for sure here with the yellow color, additional fertilizer, especially tree fertilizer, liquid fertilizer. When you see the color right away, could be chlorosis. Uh, but having a tree specialist look at it, do a soil test, and probably fertilize. All right. Very good. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to the phones, uh, Mary. Uh, let's see who's been away. We have a bunch of callers. Uh, Ed is calling from New Hope, I believe. Go ahead, Ed. Uh, good morning. I enjoy your program. I have a question about bearded iris. I think these are hybrids, and the stalks get real tall, and they get four or five blooms on the end, and then they fall over and lay on the ground. And... Is there a reason for this? Have I done something wrong? No. Well, the only thing, I, I, the first thing I would say is uh, they have to be in full sun. Uh, full sun is wonderful for iris. Once they get shady, the plants tend to get, they kind of stretch, they get leggy, and they do fall over. If yours are in full sun, then this is just a characteristic of that particular cultivar. So right now we are enjoying a beautiful, beautiful spring with this glorious bearded iris. They are fragrant. They are beautiful. Their collection at the Arboretum is fantastic right now. But this is just uh, what happens um, with some that have, as you say, they're so heavy with blooms, they actually fall over. But uh, full sun is the best um, treatment against flopping iris. Okay. Thanks, Ed. Uh, Ken is calling from Blaine with a question. Go ahead, Ken. Yes, uh, thank you. I have a question on Japanese knotweed. I'm wondering how to get rid of it. It's uh, I evidently got it in a plant exchange some time back, and uh, it's kind of taking over. So this is a very tough tough weed to control. Uh, our winters do help keep this in check a little bit, but this is a gigantic rhizome system. So the rhizomes on this are big, as big or bigger than your fingers. So you want to repeatedly cut it or mow it from the top, and uh, you can try covering it up. Uh, it'll come through black plastic. It'll come through a lot of organic mulches, but repeatedly cut it off and cover it up if that is too much for you, just that mechanical control, then you can use chemical control with Roundup. Be very selective, of course, and just put it on the knotweed. You need 6 to 12 inches of 
healthy green tissue for that to be taken up by the knotweed. But even one application of Roundup will probably not kill this plant. So it's it's a repeated effort for two or three years, and um, hopefully after two or three years, you won't have it anymore. <laughs> well, interesting, Mary. I, uh, I'm going to get Carolyn Shoreview on the line here with a similar, I think it's a similar question. Did you get any help there, Carol? Yeah, I did. I My question was going to be how to um, kill or get rid of Japanese knot, and I thought it was not wood, but I must be wrong. Maybe <laughs> it kind not. of seems like wood. It's so tough. But, yeah, weed, weed uh, polygonum is, is, yeah, it's just herbaceous, but very, very persistent. And um, it sometimes gets its roots in among rocks or other things where it's difficult to weed and get it out. So it, it can be just really a problem. So. Yeah, this is planted in a... Um, uh, by a house, and it's covered with uh, stone uh, in that area because there's nothing else grown there. And uh, it tends to head for the house. It, I don't mm-hmm. know if it wants to climb. I've heard it can take uh, uh, siding right off of houses. Uh, probably not in our, our climate will it do that, but right up against the house, it has some security and some protection there for the roots, so it's harder than ever for you to get to it. But unless you want to excavate that whole area, just repeatedly cutting it back, cutting it back, and um, and then uh, chemical control uh, will help you. All right. Mary, we need to take a quick break, but uh, we have more show to come on our Smart Garden Show here on CCO. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. And welcome back to CCO's uh, Smart Garden Show. Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota is with us today. And I know we're going to talk in a bit, uh, like we always like to do, about the Arboretum. There's so many good things going on. We'll do that coming up here. But in the meantime, Mary, a lot of callers, a lot of texters. Let me grab before we, I'll tell you what, Carol in Minneapolis has been waiting. Carol, what is your question for Mary? Hi, my question, good morning, first off. Uh, My question is, I have some potted geraniums, and once the blooms are dead, they say to cut them off. And I'm wondering, do you cut them close down to the dirt, or do you cut it more up by the bloom so that new blooms come out? You just cut it up by the bloom. So you want to take the stalk off that had the flowers but no leaves. So that's kind of a little node or a a swollen place at the bottom of the stem that has the flowers on geraniums. So you just kind of break that off. Leave all the leaves. Okay. Uh, Let's pick up on a couple of text messages before we grab some more calls. Uh, Texter says, I have knockout roses. I have heard that coffee grounds are good for them. If so, how much, how often, and how do they help the rose bushes? Well, coffee grounds are a a good source of organic matter that we generate in our own kitchen. And, yes, you can put those on roses. You can put those on any plants. Uh, They have a small amount of nutrition. The basic thing is, is they're organic matter. Um, if you've got knockout roses and you've gotten those to live in Minnesota, good for you. That's not a fully hardy type that we have. We saw a lot of death on roses this year. But you, can, I doubt if anyone can, 
over-apply that. Now I'm thinking of people who drink massive amounts of coffee, <laughs> and, and maybe you could. But uh, for the most part, a typical homeowner, you can put that on, um, work it into the top of the soil, or uh, you can also add it to your compost. If you work it into the top of the soil, you might really disturb the roots too much of the um, of the rows. So I would do that occasionally, but also you can just put it on your uh, compost Compost. Pile. Very good. Mm-hmm. A texter says, I cannot plant all of my dahlias this year. Will they keep till next year? No, they will not. Uh, They will expire uh, within a a month or so from now if you haven't planted them. So um, maybe give them away. Look for a plant sale and exchange or a... I guess you could always put them in end of your driveway with a free sign on. (laughs) But they they won't live uh, if they're not planted. All right. Uh, is it okay, Texas says, to plant tomatoes near raspberries? Um, yes, you can do that. Uh, I'm, I, I'd be a little concerned about the raspberries shading the tomatoes. But as far as diseases that they um, – uh, I, I can't think of any diseases, maybe a virus, but the raspberries are in the rose family. Tomatoes are in the uh, nightshade, solanaceae family. Different families, uh, different diseases, just give them both as much uh, light as possible. Okay. Back to the phones we go, Mary. Phyllis is calling from Edina. Phyllis, you're on with Mary. Um, good morning. I have a lot, large row of irises. They're in my backyard. They have sun probably at least half the time. And this year, I only got one stock of a bloom. I was wondering, is there something wrong with the soil or what I can do so next year I get uh, blooms for all of them? The large bearded iris really benefit from division. And so if if it's been five or more years since you divided them, they kind of get too crowded. And then the fact that they only have half a day of full sun will limit their uh, floral production. So I would encourage you to go through the iris and at least a section of them, do the division, throw out any old ones, uh, any any that um, have small rhizomes to them. The time for a division of bearded iris is the end of July. So I would wait until they're dormant, and then they, the end of July they go into a dormancy. So late July, early August is prime time for dividing them. They'll get reestablished then before the winter. And, and next year I think you will see it, um, more flowers. All right. That's good news. Uh, let's see. Who is next? Cindy is calling from New Prague, Minnesota. Go ahead, Cindy. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I have some snow. I think they're called snow anemones. Um, I've had them there for a long, long time, but they're getting very thick, and they're no longer blooming. And I'm wondering, do I cut back them, um, you know, cut deadhead them, and then I want to transplant them to another part of my garden? When can I do that? Well, the there is a a Canada anemone that is native to Minnesota is blooming right now. It might have finished blooming in your garden. I just saw some of those down here on the the Nicolette Mall here in Minneapolis, and they were blooming nicely. The, if it's the Canada anemone, which is the hardy one in Minnesota, that has a, a great rhizome system. That's a very tough, hardy plant, and you can almost divide that any time. So uh, you can deadhead it and then divide it. The other anemones, many of them are, are not fully hardy in Minnesota, but I think 
you probably have the ones that are hardy. So I would say uh, when they're when they're finished blooming, um, keep as many uh, roots as possible when you do divide them and transplant them. All right. I think Lynn is next on the phone with a question for you. Lynn, go ahead. Mary's listening. Yes, I have a three-year Japanese lilac tree that last year bloomed beautifully, and now this year it's healthy, but there's not one bloom on it. Is that an every-other-year bloomer? No, it isn't. We think that the the tree lilac is a reliably hardy um, every-year bloomer. So I, I'm not sure what happened to your tree. We're just starting to see the tree lilacs now. Um, some, of the, some of them are blooming. Others are just uh, starting to bloom. Um, I would three, I think you said it's three years ago you planted it. I think it will bloom again for you. <clears throat> I'm not sure why it didn't this one year, but full sun is, again, uh, something that it... No, we have to break here. We do have another half hour of the show to go. Uh, Mary, there's a text before we break, and I'm not sure if there's an answer for this. Can you recommend something to plant around my summer home to repel mice? Uh, no, I can't think of a single <laughs> plant that does repel mice. Most of most plants provide habitat for mice. So uh, repelling mice, the best thing to do is is really um, either you yourself or get a um, exterminator out to look for access around the base of the house. Um, so you need to exclude the animals from coming in and then move back any plants at all. Put a mulch there or something that doesn't create a habitat. All right. Very good. All right. We'll be back, as I said, another half hour of the show to go on our Smart Garden Show, brought to us by By the Yard Patio Furniture. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour here on CCO Radio, brought to us by By the Yard Patio Furniture. Mary Myers with us. And, uh, Mary, what's going on at the Arboretum? We always like to ask you that. It's such a great place to visit. Oh, it, it is so beautiful now at the Arboretum. We've had a couple people call about their iris. So the iris are just glorious, wonderful fragrance to the iris. And then the peonies, oh, my goodness, the peony walk, the peonies are just beautiful. Again, another fragrant plant that we can grow better here in the north than they can uh, in the south. So the peonies look beautiful. Um, and then the roses are starting to come. You know, we have several rose gardens at the Arboretum, and they are roses. I always think of June as the month for roses, so they are just starting to bloom. And we have perfect weather now. This not not real hot, not real cold, so many of the flowers will last. And the new uh, annuals went in celebrating the 60th anniversary of the Arboretum. Wow, 60th. So very nice, yes. I guess. Well, let's see. Mary Lou is calling from Crystal with the question. Hi, Mary Lou. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, Good morning. Sorry, I had you on speaker. Um, <clears throat> I have a question about peonies. Um, I have several, and most of them have bloomed, and some of the petals have already dropped, and I'm wondering what to do with that bud. Uh, with the remain the seed pod that's left yes, on Yes, the seed pod. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. Yes, you should cut that off. Because you don't really want to um, uh, have the food reserves go into the seed. So you can cut those off and uh, leave as many leaves as possible, but cut off any of the buds. 
All right, very good. Uh, texter, we've got to grab a couple text messages here, too, before we're back to the phones. Texter says, I just removed an old lilac bush. I cut the roots best I could. I plan on planting another kind of bush in its place. Will the remaining lilac roots start growing again? And if so, what should I do? Well, they might. I, I would wait till you have that problem. They won't necessarily start growing from the roots. If you left some of the stem in there, and lilacs do have a tendency to, uh, if a branch lays on the ground, it can root. But if you got most of the branches out and you're just concerned about roots that are deep in the soil, I don't think you will see that. Okay. Let's go to Golden Valley. I think Miller is there. Miller, you're on with Mary. Good morning. I love your program. Thanks so much. Thank you. I learned some things enough, enough things ready this morning. I can go back to bed. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> I, I no, I, we want you to go back to gardening. Yes. Oh, yeah, I yeah, got yeah. there ready this morning. Okay. Um, I got two questions. The first is uh, we've had a, um, all of a sudden a mole problem or a vole problem, and it's, they got right in the middle of my strawberry patch, and it's all just all bumpled up. What can I do? Or what should I do? That's really difficult because uh, with the animals, we have choices of exclusion or trapping. And so with the the in-ground animals, moles and voles, it's very hard to exclude them. And so trapping is the best resort. You can, um, I don't know, it's in your strawberries, how practical this is. If it's in your lawn, you could walk on those tunnels. But putting in a trap uh, is it. Hopefully this will not be a long-term thing. Uh, they these animals are moving around. They're looking for sources of insects and other uh, food that's in the ground. So hopefully this will be a one-time thing, but it, it's very difficult. They can really do a lot of damage, too. They can. That, I think that's the frustrating thing about animal damage, whether it's deer, rabbits, voles. They can do a massive amount of damage in a short amount of time and um, leave us with problems. Miller, did that help you? <laughs> See that with that with that one, yes. My other one is you talked a little while ago about putting um, your coffee grounds that it can almost go on anything. During the winter, I put mine around my hydrangea, and of course, I can't dig them in. But uh, is that going to be any benefit? Well, it won't do any harm, and it can improve the organic matter over time. So that that's fine. But um, yes, yeah, so it, that's not a problem. All right, good. Thanks, Miller. Fred is calling from Bloomington with a question for Mary. Go ahead, Fred. Uh, I, I've got some geraniums and some begonias that are, the stems are turning black right where they come out of the ground for about two or three inches. The plant seems to want to continue to grow. The leaves are green, but the stems dampen off at the ground and they're black. What's going on? I'm not sure. That does definitely sound like a a fungal problem or a uh, botrytis blight, some type of a rot problem. I would try to keep the foliage as dry as possible. Now, if the leaves are still green and look good, then there is some, the vascular system is working and there is some... um, uh, Uh, water and everything going up to the leaves. So I would just concentrate on keeping the uh, foliage and the top of the plant as dry as possible. It it might help if you put a mulch around to to lift up the stems and leaves from direct contact with the soil. Um, So hopefully that will help and just uh, keep the top of the plant dry. All right. Very good. Thank you, Fred. Uh, we were talking about ash trees when we first opened up the show, Mary. And a texter wants to know, do the ash borers 
only live in ash trees. That's right. They do. There are other borers that we uh, deal with and and uh, have uh, as well. But the emerald ash borer only lives on ash trees. Texture wants to know what's the best way to kill volunteer trees like elm and pop, poplar in my flower beds. Well, the best way is to really hand pull them out. Uh, when the soil is wet and when the, the trees are young, you want to pull at the base of that sapling and uh, try to get the roots out. Uh, this this is uh, a year and from <laughs> proceeding forward, we could see a lot of maple and elm seedlings. This was a masting year for those plants, and they had huge amount of seeds uh, on them. So a lot of those seeds will germinate. But when they're young, just hand pulling them out is best. Texter says, I planted a 16-foot B&B river birch clump a year ago. Is it safe to trim some lower and mid-branches off now that didn't grow leaves this season? Yes, uh, you could do that. Uh, a birch trees, right? That's what kind that was. River birch, yeah. River birch, yes, yes. You you can do that. We don't want to do any pruning on our oaks uh, because this is a prime time for oak wilt. But but if you know those branches are dead and they're unsightly, uh, yes, you can prune those off. You were talking about peonies a bit ago, Mary. Texter says, "What could I do to get the peonies to have more buds? Does it have anything to do with the age of the plant?" Uh, probably, well, it, it might, but peonies uh, can outlive people. And you see this in old gardens. And so peonies are very, very long-lived. So the age doesn't really have anything to do with it. Peonies need a lot of sunlight. They like full sun conditions, just a, a tremendous amount of light. They don't like uh, being crowded out by other plants nearby. So the spacing around them, uh, let them grow on their own. Uh, those are the two things. You, if you have those and you've had a lot of blooms in the past, you don't. You might think about a soil test and adding fertilizer. But uh, full sun is really important. If you have a peony that has never bloomed, then it could be the planting depth that's a problem. Planting peonies too deep will cause them to not bloom. Hmm, interesting. Here's a text. says a 15-year-old shrub rose budding immensely now in Chisago City. I need to move it. Early spring is the best time. If I transplant it this August or September, roots won't reestablish before winter and I cannot fertilize it. Your thoughts about that? Early in the spring is the best. Actually, if you can do it before the plant leaves out in the spring, that is the best time. Um, if you do it in the fall, it's definitely a risk. We do have some really hardy shrub roses, but early spring is ideal, especially if you have a choice. Texas says, I like my vigorously growing vine, which is going up the side of our house and chimney, but it is damaging that it crawls along the roof line as well, as a question. Or is it damaging that it well, crawls along the roof line? It, um, it definitely could be. Um, you, you have to really evaluate uh, and look at what it's doing to um, your house. Um, and the type of vine is really important because different vines uh, use different types of support systems. So some have aerial roots, some have little uh, uh, suction cups like petioles, some have twines that they they uh, need something to twine around. If you have something like the Boston ivy or the um, 
uh, the other ivy, the quinquefolia, those two ivies are very, very vigorous in our climate, and uh, they will cause structural problems eventually. So you have to really evaluate how much you love that vine and do some pruning. And, of course, getting into your spouting and encouraging other plants to grow there where it would ca- capture uh, other debris is another uh, issue. Texter says, uh, rhubarb is not turning red this year. Healthy looking, but can I still eat it? Yes. You know, people often ask this, um, and this is really a cultivar thing. Different seasons, uh, if plants grow very vigorously or if they're shaded, they can be greener. But uh Green rhubarb is edible. Of course, you only eat the petiole or the stalk in rhubarb. The, the leaves are poisonous. If you're unhappy with the color of your rhubarb, consider buying a new plant. Uh, there are cultivars that are uh, very red. All right. Very good. Mary, we need to take a quick break here. We will be back with more Smart Garden on 830 WCC. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden show. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. We haven't given the website yet. Oh, my goodness. A whole hour. (laughs) Extension.umn.edu. And then click on Garden. So we have lots of resources there, pictures of insects, pictures of weeds, pictures of good plants, and what's wrong with my plant. Tremendous resource. Extension.umn.edu. And click on Garden. Very good. Diane is calling from uh, Clara City, I believe. Diane, good morning. Yes, I just wanted to report that Lavon Swart, S-W-A-R-T, a longtime master gardener, over 30 years, has died this last week. Hmm. Is oh, that a name you're familiar yes, with, Mary? Yes, it definitely is. Uh, the Master Gardener program now is over 40 years old in Minnesota, and unfortunately, we do see uh, many of our longtime Master Gardeners uh, now that are passing away. But yes, I remember Lavani, and and uh, the work that Master Gardeners do is such a help out there in your communities. You know, people can call in here and ask us, but they're uh, Master Gardeners in all the counties in Minnesota. Um, Hennepin County has over 400. No kidding. Wow. Yes, what a group. So they're wonderful. They're they're out there working in your community uh, to answer questions. And uh, thank you, Diane, for letting us know about this. I, I will be sure and look up uh, her obituary. And uh, I think the folks in the state office might already know about this. But uh, we're sorry to hear that. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Diane. Uh, Maggie, I believe, is calling from St. Clair. Let's see. Maggie, you're on with Mary. Good morning. Hi, Mary. I have a question about my hostas. They're facing north, and I'm not sure of the variety, but um, the center is green and the outside edge is cream. And I'm having trouble with the leaves turning brown on the edges. And they're planted near a low shrub evergreen. Would that have any problem? So uh, brown on the edges is usually a sign of um, something to do with the water stress. So like they got enough water and then they dried out. So I don't, I'm not sure. The only thing with, could be the competition from that evergreen as far as taking up uh, too much water. When you have a variegated hosta like this that's white and green, they tend to be more sensitive 
they're not as strong because they don't have total chlorophyll. They have a lot, all that white are, are, are cells without chlorophyll. So it's not as strong. It's going to be more sensitive. So you might consider moving that hosta or making sure that it has uh, additional water. Okay. And sometimes sun can do that, but on the edge, it's usually a water issue. Okay. Uh, we're going to get some more text messages, but let's get Kevin in Stillwater's question to answer. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. I have a cottonwood that I bought on a whim. My wife hates it, and so I put it in the back of our lot, and it was doing really well. It's been in for about four years. I haven't quite eliminated my wife as a suspect. She could very well have had a hand in it. Uh, The tree came back this spring, only one-third of it living, and it was at the very top. The leaves look perfectly healthy. And then two-thirds of the tree just looked dead as a doornail. And now maybe the bottom third is coming around. I don't know what I should do. Should I try to nurse this tree that my wife doesn't care for back to health? Or do you think it's sick? Or was there a blight? Or was it the extremes of last winter? Maybe it's windburned? I don't know. I don't know a lot about cottonwoods. I just like them in the fall. They're very aromatic. Well, cottonwood is a really tough tree and a very good survivor with our prairie uh, weather extremes. But the fact that you planted this cottonwood leads me to believe that this is a selected cultivar. And some of those can come from areas uh, south of here or just different than what your own landscape is. So I I would uh, say the injury here is showing up is the winter. We've had even even evergreens. You can see a lot of plants that are fully hardy. Uh, this winter was strange and difficult, and for some reason, uh, big sections of your tree have died. Um, I don't know, Kevin. This almost sounds like a marriage issue as much as, <laughs> as it is a plant yeah. issue. I hate to say this, but you might be better off going to the nursery with your wife and selecting something that you both like and agree on. Now, we talked about autumn blaze earlier. That's a fast-growing uh, tree. Uh, it's almost overplanted, but there are fast-growing choices. I mean, I like the oaks, the St. Croix elm, white pines. There are a lot of other trees you could select. So it's really a question of, is this deformed cottonwood going to look good? All right, very good. Good luck with that, Kevin. Uh, Texas says, I have lantana in hanging pots. How do I deadhead them? Lantana grows in a cluster, so you'll end up taking off a a, a whole flower cluster. It's kind of like deadheading a geranium. Uh, And those clusters are big enough that, you know, lantana will benefit from deadheading. The bigger the flower or the flower cluster, the more a plant will benefit from deadheading. So lantana is a nice plant for hot, dry conditions, and and deadheading will help it. Another texter says, how do I get rid of uh, broadleaf violets that are taking over my yard? Uh, violets are very difficult to control. So the the regular uh, broadleaf-killing herbicides that have 2,4-D, MCPP, uh, a multiple um, two or three chemicals together will help kill the violets. 
Now, the issue you've got with violets is they have a huge reserve with that uh, basal uh, kind of crown with that will help them to come back forever. And then they throw seeds out. So they come up easily from seeds. So this is a, uh, a big effort to control them. Uh, they're a difficult weed, but uh, you can, but it's basically just with chemical, repeated chemical control. Spring is okay. Uh, fall is another time to treat uh, violets. Barry, we have less than 60 seconds to go. Last text uh, says, this spring we're trying the straw bale planting technique, planted pepper plants, and doing well thus far. Overnight, the bale exploded with mush- mushrooms. What happened? What do we do now? Well, the mushrooms are just the organic matter decaying in there. Uh, uh, they they uh, won't hurt anything. You'll probably want to break them off. They'll die on their own in a few days. But just remember, additional water and uh, fertilizer you'll need to put on if you're doing the straw bale gardening. They don't have, straw doesn't have the resources that regular soil does. When does one split peonies? In the fall. Okay. Peonies bloom in the spring. We divide them in the fall, so a month before, so around um, Labor Day is a good time to dig up peonies and divide them. Very good. And what is that university website? Extension.umn.edu and click on Garden. And if you have a chance, get to the Arboretum. Get to the Arboretum, see the wonderful roses, iris, peonies, annuals. All the great stuff there. Thanks, Mary. We'll see you soon. Wonderful to be here. Thanks very much. Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota Extension. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.